Well, again, good morning and welcome to One Life Community Church. My name is Greg. I'm one of the co-lead pastors here. And as uh, Rich already said, it is, uh, it is delightful to us and a huge honor to us that on a day like this, you would choose and make the effort to be here with us. Uh, so we're just thankful, whether it's here in person, connecting with us via live stream or later on a podcast, that you would choose to engage with us together with God is a huge, huge blessing and privilege. So thank you. Uh, will you please join me as I pray? God, I give you great thanks for this day and for your presence in our lives. I ask that you would speak to us this morning, that we would learn what it means uh, to follow you. God, that that the way you invite and the way you lead and and all those things is critical to our understanding and, and what that means to us being able to follow you in a real way. And so I pray that wherever we're at, we would hear clearly your voice and your invitation and how you love, uh, how you love us and you wanna draw us into that. And so so I just pray from that space, we would be able to really hear, uh, clearly hear what it is that you are uh, speaking to us. So Holy Spirit, I ask you be with us and help us to do that in Jesus' name, amen. So we're in week two of a sermon series entitled I Am, where we thought, you know, in, in, throughout history, uh, since Jesus first showed up, there have been lots of people saying, this is what Jesus is, or this is what Jesus was, this is what Jesus believed, or taught, or thought, or, or all these things about him. Uh, but there are some key spots in scripture where Jesus says, well, let me tell you who I think I am. And he uses that phrase, I am. And so we've been exploring that. And this morning we're going to be looking in uh, the chapter 10 of the book of John. And so if you have your Bible, you can turn there. uh, And we're going to be reading verses 1 through 21. If you don't have a Bible, that's all right. They'll be up on the screens uh, in the room here. And you can read along uh, with me. So here we go. This is John 10, uh, verses 1 through 21. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees a wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen and I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. 
The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. The Jews who heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, he's demon possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? And so we're going to be exploring today what it means when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Now, we have lots of ideas about what it means to be a shepherd, some of those based on reality and some of those because we've never experienced what it means to be a shepherd or been around anyone who is. Um, for some of us, the closest we have seen are when they bring the goats into certain areas of Seattle and they chew on blackberries and they get all fenced in and we go, oh, that's like shepherding or something like that. And that may be the closest some of us have gotten, but today we're gonna learn some things about what it means to be a shepherd. Now, I wanna start by talking about this um, Jesus calls a sheep pen. Um, and I don't know what you imagine, uh, but in my mind, I imagine just this big field and this big fence out in the middle of nowhere. Um, and the, I would say, well, that's where the sheep pen, because all the sheep are in there. But what Jesus is talking about is most likely alongside of someone's house, there would be built alongside of that a big pen. And there might be uh, several flocks of sheep and they're belonging to several different shepherds. They might share that space. And so part of the idea of when we talk about Jesus says, you know, the sheep know the shepherd's voice might be that when the shepherd comes into the pen, not over the edge, because that's the thief and the robber, but when the shepherd comes in, they would say something like, hey, sheep. And the sheep would go, that's my shepherd. And they'd be able to follow and the other ones would stay. Right, so there's this idea already that there's this, there's this relationship, there's this, uh, there's this communication between the sheep and the shepherd. Now, the thief again hops the, over the fence, digs underneath it, gets in some other way besides the gate. Jesus says the shepherd goes through the gate uh, and then is able to lead um, the sheep out. Um, and there's a key uh, sort of aspect to this that um, we're going to be talking about a little bit today, and it's, and it's a leadership aspect, and that um, two models of leadership. One says the leader goes before and then calls people, invites people to follow. The other one says the leader is behind and drives and pushes. We're going to discover that Jesus is a leader who goes before and invites and calls. And so when Jesus is going to talk about, I'm going to lead them into pasture where they can sort of live life to the full, Jesus is going there and then inviting the people, the sheep, to follow after him. Now, I wondered how true this was, this idea that the sheep really know the voice of their shepherd. And so I have a short video um, that we'll watch and, and we'll see if we, if we decide this is true or not. So... One more time. Ha, 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 ha. 
say there's something about sheep um, that, that uh, I just read an article about this uh, very big sheep, I'll call it a sheep disaster uh, in Turkey. Some of you may have read about this, uh, where 1,500 sheep, give or take, uh, went off this cliff basically because one did. Uh, and so one decided, I'm out, goes off this cliff, and then... Uh, about 400 or so after that went off the cliff and died, the other sheep, the other 1,100 or so went off and, uh, how do you say this without, it's not funny, but they didn't die because sheep are soft and fluffy and, and so they landed on all the other sheep and then we're alive. But there's this, so when we see that all the sheep coming, we might be tempted to go, well, all it took was one, and then the rest would go. Um, but there was another video I saw where a, a, a shepherd was walking along the fence and said, I have these sheep in here. I got to get them onto this side of the fence. Uh, but they're eating, so I don't know. We'll see. They might not, they might not come. So I started doing this. Thing, and, and I was always amazed. I thought there was some magic phrase, but they usually, this guy says, hey, sheep. And I was like, oh, okay. So he goes, hey, sheep. And the sheep are like, oh, there's the guy. And so they come running along. He opens the gate. They all run in. And he's like, now this is new grass over here. So I really don't think they'll keep following me. And he kept walking, hey, sheep, hey, sheep. And most of them kept following. There were a handful who stayed back. And he was like, those ones don't know me as well, I guess. And I was like, oh, that's interesting that that's your, that's your assessment of this. It's, it's that they don't know you well enough to keep following you, which is exactly what Jesus talks about with, with sheep. And so the shepherd... Um, leads and calls and and then the sheep do know his voice and they go to what Jesus is going to say life and life uh, to the fullest and so I want to draw us back to our series on uh, flourishing because that's what Jesus is leading us to is that life that life where everything is we use the phrase shalom where everything is good and right and as it should be and that's what Jesus is drawing us to inviting us to in the midst of this though he talks about thieves who come to steal kill and destroy. Versus again, Jesus saying, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. In Jesus' time, you could say that there are governments and, and other people around who are trying to steal, kill, and destroy, that they're trying to use uh, the sheep, so to speak. Uh, one of the things we know about Rome is uh, they would offer what they called the peace of Rome, Pax Romana, and uh, what they would do though is they'd say, so yeah, we'll, we'll kind of give you peace. And this is probably how the mob got started. Um, we'll give you peace. We'll protect you. 
but you got to give us some stuff. You got to give us some of your land and some of your money, and we're going to take a lot of your people, and we're going to send them out to fight our battles for us, right? And so it's this idea of, sure, we'll offer you peace, but we're going to use you up in the process, right? And so Jesus is coming into the midst of that and saying, there are thieves who are coming to kill and destroy and steal, but I'm coming to give life. And it's at this point, it's, it's about halfway through our passage where he finally says, I am the good shepherd. Up to this point, he's just been describing a shepherd. But now he says, I am the good shepherd. And when I first uh, read that, uh, and when I've read it in the past, in my mind I've thought, well, Jesus must be using the word good like you're a really skilled shepherd. You got all the mad shepherd skills that you can have, right? You know how to do everything just right. But the word there doesn't mean that at all. It's a, a Greek word um, that is, uh, we would say it, kalos, um, and it means beautiful by reason of purity of heart and life, and hence praiseworthy, morally good, or noble. And so even though it might seem like it has to do with shepherding skills, it has nothing to do with skills or being skill-based, but completely about heart and character. That Jesus is not the good shepherd because he has mad shepherding skills, but because he has the heart to care for the flock beyond their usefulness to him. And he's going to get into this as he talks about some of these other characters in this uh, scenario he describes. Because again, he's leading, he's leading his followers towards flourishing, and he's going to talk about laying down his life for them. But then he brings in this other character that we see as the hired hand, who cares for the sheep, but not beyond how they can benefit the hired hand. And so the hired hand obviously wants the sheep to thrive. Because if they don't, then, then that person's career, their paycheck stops. But Jesus brings up a scenario where he says, yeah, but if a wolf shows up, that person's going to jet because they don't want to put their life on the line. They don't want to endanger their own life for the sake of the sheep. They're not that important. They feel like, I could probably go get employment somewhere else. But Jesus says, I lay down my life for their sake. Now, there's um, this thing called the Midrash, and the, the, the Midrash is, uh, it's like the first written uh, account of the, the, the Torah. And so sometimes they'll call it the, uh, the, the, the written version of the oral Torah. So everything that was passed down orally, it's one of the first collections of that written down. And in there also is um, this thing that, that has an interesting sort of legal obligation for a hired hand that says, uh, if you are a hired hand for a shepherd and one wolf shows up, you're legally bound to defend the flock. But if two wolves show up, it's basically what insurance companies now would call act of God, right? You just say, out of my control, and you're not legally bound to protect them. There's an understanding in there. So it's interesting to me there's even sort of a section in some of this old stuff specifically about the wolf scenario. But Jesus says the hired hand will run. He says of himself, though, I lay down my life. Those are the specific words in John 10, verse 15. Not, I want you to hear this, it's not I am willing to lay down my life. Because I'm willing to lay down my life means I'm thinking ahead about a potential risk. If necessary, I, I would like to imagine that I would do that. 
Jesus is saying, even in this moment right now when I am talking to you, I am laying down my life. It's not just speaking forward to the cross as we like to think that it's all pointing towards that. It certainly is. But Jesus is saying, in everything I do from the moment I was born here, taking on human uh, humanity and becoming a human, everything I did from then until my death through my resurrection is going to be an act of laying down my life. And so Jesus becomes different than any other leader that has ever been. And I bring this up that way to say, in our lives, we're all going to follow something or someone. We we don't have a choice about that. There's something in us that will gravitate towards being led by something. Rich often talks about leadership as being where a person has influence. We're all going to be influenced by something or someone. I want us to be able to have a perspective where we can choose what we're influenced by. And I feel like Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. I'm really different than all the other things out there. I want to give you a few examples of some other things that try to shepherd us. Culture is one. Um, This guy named John Tyson, who's a pastor of a church in New York, was talking about this recently. And he was talking about what he called choice architecture where it's, uh, the idea is you're creating a choice framework. And so you're trying to influence the outcome of people without them knowing you've influenced them. And he used the example, uh, one of the examples he used was a school cafeteria where uh, you know, kids would come in for lunch and they would say, okay, do you want uh, pizza or chicken nuggets? And then do you want Coke or Sprite? And then do you want cake or cookies? And he said, these are all terrible options right, and and not healthy for the kids, and so they decided they were going to change it, and instead of saying, so let's take the dessert option, instead of them saying, well, let's substitute an apple in for a cookie, and then we'll say, do you want cake or cookie, or cake or apple, right, well, we all know what most kids are going to pick, right, and so they said, well, let's, let's just change the whole dessert menu, and instead of any of those, we'll offer them, hey, do you want an apple, an orange, or banana, and Then the kids, what we tell them is, but you still get to choose. You still get to pick. And so there's this opportunity where they still get to exercise a certain amount of liberty to choose, but they've greatly impacted the outcome and and the outcome it's going to have on that person's life. Now, they said it was fantastic because lots of kids got healthier. And they're not just trying to impact them in terms of getting their bodies healthier, but to create an understanding, create an environment that says, oh, these are the kinds of food in the future I will know. And so the goal is to create environments and then those environments change us with an illusion of freedom. There's a certain amount of freedom, but there's still an illusion of freedom. We hear about things like this all the time. How many of you are familiar with the uh, Cambridge Analytica scandal that happened with Facebook and all that stuff? Listen to what one of their uh, head guys said. This guy, uh, Mark Turnbull, said this. We just put information into the bloodstream of the internet and then watch it grow. Give it a little push every now and again over time to watch it take shape. And he says, and so this stuff infiltrates the online community, but with no branding. So it's unattributable and untrackable. And what that means is that, first of all, they're they're nudging things, nudging information and watching it grow and seeing what it does and then giving a little other push to see what it does. But that it also makes it feel very natural. Because it's not attributable and it's untrackable, it feels like it's not forced. We don't feel that nudge, but it's really selective curating of information. New York Times author uh, Annalisa Quinn says that there is an ecosystem 
of these kinds of things. And then she calls, she also adds into that modern pressures that are all trying to control us. Right? We can think about all kinds of other examples with uh, propaganda. Um, Noam Chomsky did this great, great piece on propaganda. If you ever get a chance to read it, you should. Um, but it just talked about the power of propaganda and that uh, he was talking about how culture, um, uh, sorry, how about society is more susceptible to change when everyone's feeling uncertain or confused and everything feels kind of chaotic. That it's, he said, if you want to change society and change culture, that's a really good time to do it. But he said, what happens is, is when we find culture and society isn't in one of those places, all you need to do is kind of shock the system. And so that's where propaganda comes in, is you shock the system. It doesn't mean the things are untrue, but if you bring to someone's attention a ton of things going on, that all of a sudden they feel like, oh, but now, now we need to be, something needs to be done about that, right? It, it stirs things up. So propaganda is part of that cultural shepherding too. Okay, so I personally don't want culture to shepherd me. We just talked about uh, in our Flourish series, Rich did a fantastic job talking about how as followers of Christ, Jesus goes and creates culture. We should follow him into that. So then some people say, well, let's, let's talk about religion and let's talk about the church and organized religion. religion and can we trust uh, religion? Some people would say yes and some people would say uh, I got 2,000 plus years and, and, and a lot more of abuse, hypocrisy, coercion, control uh, that tell me we can't trust organized religion. Um, again, John Tyson, this pastor, said, uh, it seems difficult when any time organized religion gets enough power to do something, it produces a society that is exclusive and oppressive. And so for lots of people, the church does not feel like it presents a, a healthy vision of flourishing for them to enter into. But I think this is, the, the, this is one of the things that Jesus is getting at when he talks about the hired hands, the self-seeking, the feed off the sheep versus tending the flock. Listen to Ezekiel 34. I didn't put it up here because I just want you to, I just wanted to, you to be able to hear it and, and soak it in that way. This is Ezekiel 34. I'm not gonna read all of it, just one through 16. The word of the Lord came to me Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool, and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill, high hill they were scattered over the whole earth and no one searched or looked for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, because my flock lacks a shepherd and so has been plundered and has become food for all the wild animals and because my shepherds did not search for my flock but cared for themselves rather than for the flock, therefore you shepherds hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I am against the shepherds and I will hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths and it will no longer be food for them. For this is what the sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. 
As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines and in all the settlements in the land. I will tend them in a good pasture, and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. And there they will lie down in good grazing land. And there they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. But the the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. When leadership gets into a space where it operates this way, where, where it's really using the people uh, that, 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 that it's supposed to be leading, uh, you get destructive leaders who are focused on personal power, greed, they're controlling, narcissistic. Uh, this creates susceptible followers who are either conforming uh, because their, their sense of uh, esteem is continually broken down by the leaders Um, or you have people who are colluding. Uh, That creates what is called a coercive environment. It's filled with instability, fear, no accountability, isolation. And it's the kind of leadership that is being critiqued by Jesus in this section. He's directing it towards the Pharisees. Look, Pharisees, you've been leading this, and, and I gotta tell you, this is not how it's supposed to be. If you don't lead out of a godly vision, you end up pushing from behind. And when you do that, the sheep scatter. And when the sheep scatter, then you bring out the dogs. And then the dogs go around and they hem everybody in. And this is what happens in the church when we have people who ask difficult questions is we send out the dogs and push them back in. No, don't don't ask that question because we can't have us thinking about that. This is what religion can do when it pushes from behind and it pushes us into a set of demands that when we can't keep up with it and we try to get out of it, it unleashes guilt, shame, fear, condemnation. So even though we might be plodding forward or moving forward, it's not out of a sense of freedom or our hearts full of joy or excitement for the future. It's literally, literally out of a fear of what will happen if we can't do it. Okay, well that feels like strike two for me. Like, culture's out, religion, organized religion is out, I don't know if I can trust it, so then what am I gonna do? Well, maybe I'll just shepherd myself, right? I'm pretty well educated. You all might think you're pretty well educated. You probably are, I didn't mean to say that like that way, but, um, but we all may feel like, you know what, I know enough to get around But in that, don't we find that there are spots in our own heart, darkness in our own heart, things from our past that just don't seem to go away, that keep coming back? Any of us who have ever been addicted to anything, we know that that we're enslaved to some of the, the, the darkness of our own hearts. 
sometimes we discover we're not as free as we think we are. We think we just make these decisions and sort of this myth of autonomy, but there are so many things that are influencing and shaping us that we just talked about, whether it's culture or organized religion, there are so many things that we're letting influence us that the the idea that I make a choice on my own free from any of those things is just not true. When I think about the reality that every time I click a button on my you know, my touchpad or my mouse. But there's an algorithm out there that is going to send something back to me to shepherd me. That I'm, I'm being shepherded by an algorithm that's going to interpret that click and then give back information, and I'm going to receive that. Right? There's just so many things that, that shepherding ourselves just is also not a very healthy option. And it's into all of that that Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. Jesus says, I'm not going to use you up to further my cause. We are his cause. This God of the universe and human flesh who voluntarily inserted inserted himself into the sort of the cogs of the machinery of human power to jam it up and show there's a different way to lead. And it's not driving from behind, but it's walking ahead, calling, inviting. And when we hear his voice and we know that it's true or even have a sense of it, because he also says it only takes a mustard seed then we can follow, to live out this different way of leading. When you compare it to what the Pharisees were doing, Jesus was tending the flock. He was strengthening the weak, healing the sick, bringing back the strays, bandaging the injured. He was seeking and saving the lost. His ministry was one of washing feet, welcoming the outcast, blessing and loving those with all kinds of brokenness, bringing together an insanely culturally diverse group of people with everything from political terrorists to tax collectors, people who betrayed the empire, fishermen, bringing all those together, creating a new humanity. And when we see this lived out, we have an opportunity to enter into it and our hearts will change and we'll all of a sudden begin to recognize the voice. Now, I, I have two examples that I want to share with you of what I feel like this looks like. And, and they're, they're not, well, I'll just share. Uh, the first one started happening on uh, last Tuesday. Uh, in my Praxis core group, we've been going through the book of Acts. And we're in Acts 4, and so we're reading through it, we read through it, and then we talk about it, and we read through it again, we talk about it, we read through it three times, we talk about it. In that process, we're sort of trying to highlight what are things that, that stuck out to us. And one of the things that stuck out to me was this phrase in Acts 4. Um, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. And I remember thinking, like, what does that mean that the place where they were meeting was shaken, right? It wasn't, it didn't feel like a big, like, burning theological question. I was just kind of like, what is that even about, right? What is that? Does it mean the building actually shook? Does it mean, like, sometimes when you have a really rousing time of worship, you can say, well, the place was rocking, or does it mean something like that? And so I kind of sat with that a little bit, and we talked about it, and, and over the next day or two, I, I was kind of thinking about it some more, and then on Friday, I was here, and 
just feeling kind of overwhelmed by a lot of stuff going on. I was like, I need to go pray. Um, and so I came in here, it was empty, and I was walking around praying, and, and I just had this sense like, I need to get my Bible. Right? I need to go find my Bible. And so I got my Bible, and for a while I was just holding on to it, walking and praying, and that just felt good, because you got your Bible right with you, and, uh, and you're you know, walking around and feeling good. And so then I was like, I should read something in my Bible. Um, <clears throat> that's the next step, pick it up, then read something. Uh, and so I turned, and I usually don't do this. I usually think, okay, so I'm going to go, and I just kind of turned and opened up, and it opened up to Proverbs 21, uh, verse 1, and it said this, the king's heart is in the hands of the Lord. He directs it like a water course wherever he pleases. And I was like, oh. And I'd been praying before I read that, Lord, I want to be shaken. Whatever that means, that phrase, to be shaken, I, I want that to happen. Like, like I just want to I want to feel that shaking somehow. And so then I opened this and I read it. And I was shaken. Not in any way that I thought was going to happen. It just simply moved me to say, I want my heart in the hand of the Lord. And I kind of asked, like, so where is my heart? But I immediately went to... Actually, I don't care where it's at. Where I want it is in the hand of the Lord. So wherever it is, I don't even know if I wanted to, to try and find where it is. I just want to take it and put it in the hand of the Lord and allow God to move it like a watercourse wherever he pleases. There was something about that that sounded so freeing and liberating from all the questions I was asking, from all the things I was feeling overwhelmed by. I was like, Lord, I want you to have my heart. I want my heart to be in your hands and then you can move it. And it was amazing that nothing changed. None of my circumstances changed. Nothing in any of those areas changed. But God had shaken me. And I said, Lord, my heart is in your hands. And some of my feelings changed, but not all of them. And I still said, but Lord, my heart is in your hands. And so I realized, you know what? All those things, no matter how I'm feeling in the moment or whatever, they can't dictate where my heart is. That Jesus has gone before me and invited me somewhere where I can now say, I'm following you, Jesus. I'm putting my heart in your hand, just like you put it in your Father's hands at the times you said things like, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. You've shown me the way. You've shown me how to do that. You've walked there, and I hear your voice, and I'm going to follow. Okay, and that was, it, it was really simple. Just, I just was kind of listening. I wasn't really focusing, but it just, it sounded true. This morning, when we were singing, um, <clears throat> as some of you know, um, uh, in a few weeks, uh, my family and I were going to be leaving the country for a while. I'm going on sabbatical, which I'm hugely thankful for and grateful to you all for uh, the, the privilege of being able to do that. Um, <clears throat> but Mark and Claire were over praying, and, and Claire walked over and said, we're not going to be here when you go. We'd like to pray for you. Can, can, can you come over and, and we pray for you? And I, I was like, yeah, absolutely. And got over. And then we were like, we should probably get Angie. Yeah, okay. Let's go get Angie. And walked over. And then we prayed. And the things that they prayed, I, 
they were spot on. <laughs> they were exactly like what we needed. And all it took was for someone to say, yeah, Jesus has gone this way. I'm going to walk over here and come and let's pray for you. And then you just kind of go with it. And it's just following the voice because you know it's good and it's true and it's not there to use you up. It's not there to kind of chew you up and spit you out. It's not there to ask you to work overtime or clock in over hours or to pour you out until you're completely empty. It's there to bring you to flourishing so you can be filled like a fountain that is continually overflowing. Now, in my mind, when I hear that, that sounds way better than being kind of driven from behind by someone. I picture someone with a whip, like someone leading a, a, a sled of dogs, right? That's because you can't run faster than the dogs, but anyways. But it's, 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 it's a different mentality. And so what I want you to hear this morning, and I, I have one question that we usually have uh, connection card questions. So worship team, you can, if you'd please come up, that'd be great. Um, prayer team, if you would also... Uh, Come on up, that would be fantastic too. Um, so I have one question. If you want to write down your answer on uh, the, the connection card, um, and you can put those in the wood boxes as you leave, it's a great way for us to connect with you and pray with you and hear how you're responding to the things we've been talking about. Um, and the worship team will play in just a second and give you an opportunity to do that. But the question is really simple. Where's your heart? That's all I want you to answer. Where's your heart? And then... Um, Number two, which I could put on there, would be what would it look like for you to place your heart into the Lord's hand? What would it look like for you to allow God to shepherd your heart that way? Um, yeah, so let me pray, uh, and then the worship team will lead us into a time of reflection and a closing song. Uh, dear Jesus, I, I give you great thanks, Lord, I know sometimes it, 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 there's just such a difference between you. Um, like if I'm gonna say, man, Jesus really got in my face today. That's because you were in front of me. <laughs> you came back to get me, right? I very, very rarely, if ever, have I caught myself saying, yeah, Jesus pushed me from behind. God, I'm thankful that you lead in a way that is an invitation not a, a, not a shoving or a trap or uh, with, with dogs that are trying to chase us down from the outside. We don't know where we're going, but we can see where you have gone. We can hear your voice. We can follow you. And so Lord, I pray today that all of us would hear and know your voice. God, whether it be from, from a source we expect or not, could be in a, a neighbor who does something redemptive that we go, oh, that's the voice of Jesus. That's Jesus is there. I'm going to go. Could be in, in, in all kinds of things, Lord. But, but whatever way, I pray we would hear and know the voice of you, the good shepherd, who is good not necessarily because you have all the perfect skills down, but because your heart is one that is for us. I pray we would hear and receive that, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.